Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and the peace of our Lord be with all of us gathered here today. I want to encourage you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles or on your devices. Well, to the scripture for the day. We're starting a new series, as you see. Uh, chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Genesis. Genesis 1 through 11, right? And that means today we begin a 13-week series in which we go chapter by chapter. Every week you will have an assignment for the upcoming Sunday. And my hope for you is this. My charge to you is this. Each night of the week, read the, the passage that will be preached the upcoming week. So for next week, we will be in Genesis 1 and 2. And my uh, homework for our congregation is this. Monday night or Monday morning, whenever it is that you do your scripture reading, uh, read Genesis 1 and 2. And then on Tuesday, read Genesis 1 and 2. And then on Wednesday, read Genesis 1 and 2. And by the time I get up and say something about it next Sunday, you will have been so immersed in the word that what you would have said will be far better than anything I have to say and will be prepared, will be immersed in the scripture. So if we're going to live for 13 weeks in Genesis 1 through 11, it only makes sense that our passage for scripture today is from the book of Acts chapter 17. I'm serious. So I'm going to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 17. It will make sense by and by. But Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 26, I'm encouraging those, uh, the rest of our church uh, family, those who are worshiping in the Family Life Center to turn with us as well to Acts 17, beginning in verse 26. And hear the word of the Lord. From one ancestor... He made all nations to inhabit the, the whole earth. And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of, of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. The reading of the sacred word is reliable and it can be trusted. Let's pray together. Most loving God, here in this moment of, of worship, you have our attention. Kind of. 
If worship is to be honest, Lord, we will confess to you first off. Sometimes the very best we can do is give you part of our attention. That's why we need your help in this moment through your Holy Spirit to remove so many distractions from our mind, take away the burdens from our hearts long enough, long enough just so that we may fix our eyes upon you and really say that we have seen you. Help us to tune our ears to the whispers of your Spirit the whispers that never force their way upon us, but rather are subtle and require some straining to interpret. Tune our ears that we may hear you and open our hearts that whatever seed of life and hope and goodness and beauty and grace and mercy and compassion you may wish to plant within us, we pray, would be received in our heart. But there may be fruit that grows out of it that all the world could be fed. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, we pray. Amen. I have been so excited about this series. I really have been. I love where we're going to go in this series of Genesis 1 through 11 called In the Beginning. Now, why would we begin an in-depth chapter by chapter through 1 through 11, Genesis 1 through 11? Well, there are a few reasons. Well, one of the reasons, a simple reason, is January is a kind of good time to talk about beginnings, isn't it? We're all trying to think and rethink about our beginnings, starting over. Maybe some of you did some, some resolutions. Maybe some of you are trying again with the habits that you had tried to espouse last year. I don't know. So it's a good time in January, but that's not why. There's another reason. You may remember that last year, about this time, we started a series called Patriarchs and Matriarchs. We started in Genesis chapter 12, and we moved all the way through Genesis uh, 36, in which we looked at those early heroes and heroines of the faith, Abram, Sarai, Jacob, right? And we, we went chapter by chapter through their lives. And when we got to chapter 26, we said, listen, we're having so much fun, or at least that's what I said to myself. We're having so much fun, let's just keep trucking. So we began a new series in chapter 37 called Joseph. And that series, Joseph, ran from Genesis 37 all the way through the rest of the book of Genesis, Genesis 50. So it left us at the end of those two long series with the reality that the only chapters not covered in a chapter-by-chapter -chapter series was chapters 1 through 11, and so here we are. And now we'll be able to, on our website, go and see a sermon on any one of the chapters of the book of Genesis. As fun or cool as that may be, that's, even that's not why. We're doing a series called In the Beginning. Here's why. Genesis 1 through 11 does something. I mean, it, it does something. It doesn't just say something. It doesn't just paint a picture. It, it's intended to do something in the hearts and minds of all those who hear the stories that emerge from those sacred pages. In Genesis 1 through 11, you and I get a glimpse of what existence could look like between creatures and the Creator. And we get a glimpse of what our existence could look like, not only between creature and Creator, but between creatures and creatures. 
And we get a glimpse of what God might have had in mind when God set out to do this thing called create life. And in these chapters, we get a glimpse not only of what life could be, but we get a picture of a God who is distinct, one who is no doubt sovereign over every human authority and who at the end of the day really does have the final word, but it's a unique God who in all his sovereignty, in all of his power, in all of his authority, desires to know his creatures. And not just know his creatures, but move and abide and and live among them in such a way as to participate in the life that they are living. So much so that in these 11 chapters, we are getting the image of a God who not only invites us to be alive, but invites us to partner with God in the sustaining of the world. And not only do we get a glimpse, an image of what life could look like or what that kind of God looks like, but we get a glimpse of what we were intended to look like. Human beings created with such dignity and freedom that we have the freedom to choose whether we receive or reject the love overtures of this creative God. I mean, there is nothing like Genesis 1 through 11. And, And if we step back and look at the whole of those 11 chapters, it's trying to do something that I think our world needs right now more than ever. A glimpse of how things could be and should be and can be but you can't see it that way unless you change how you look at Genesis 1 through 11 now here's the thing about Genesis 1 through 11 it's filled with all kinds of stories that many of us know in fact you don't even have to be um, familiar with church or faith maybe you're here and this is your first time with us today or maybe it's the first time in a long time You, perhaps, who have not been in the rhythm of going to church or reading scripture, maybe you know some of these stories as well as the rest of us. The stories of Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel, the Flood, Noah, the Tower of Babel, right? These are great stories. But none of these stories are intended to be picked apart and simply examined for themselves. They're part of an ark that's meant to convey one powerful message that's intending on gripping your soul. Now, many of you know that back in uh, November, around Thanksgiving, we began our college visits. We have some juniors and seniors in our church and they're beginning now to go make their first college visits and we have one of those human beings who live in our house and eat our food. So we began back in November, we went to our first college visit. We went to Carson Newman. Uh, The place where Laura and I met and where we courted and got to know one another and where our life began, sacred ground, you know, Carson Newman. And we took Nathan and Jackson to Carson Newman for a first college visit. And we walked around and we showed him all of the stories, all the places where the stories that he had heard his whole life took place. I mean, we bored them to tears. We went to the cafeteria where I mopped floors. We showed him the dorm where I slept and the classrooms where I slept. And we, we showed him, we took him, we drove him out near Cherokee Dam where their mother and I had Bible study <laughs> and prayer with 
Jesus. And then we, we showed them the building where there was a theater and we went to our first date. We saw the king and I. <laughs> kind of fitting, isn't it? You know? We saw the king and I. And afterwards, we sat for three hours on this bench right outside of Laura's dorm. And, and during that conversation, we each later would reveal that we recognized in that moment we were dating the person God had prepared for us. And, and we told them all these stories and they were great. But... None of those stories, as quirky, as, as uh, strange or beautiful or mysterious as any of them are, none of them would matter as much to them had they not known where those stories ended up. Because they recognized where those stories ended up, they recognized each of those boring stories that we told them were little stories that made up one larger narrative arc about how we became who we are and how they became who they are. It started on that campus with these stories that we began to thread together in Genesis 1 through 11. It's filled with favorite stories, and we can all tell those stories, but they're not meant to be told by themselves. There is a big picture. And if we approach these chapters with a big picture in mind, these individual stories will mean so much more. So that's what we're doing today. And in this sermon that we're, we're experiencing today, it's a little bit of a different kind of sermon. Uh, we read from the book of Acts, for example. But today the sermon is going to be a little bit more cerebral, a little bit more organized, <laughs> a little bit briefer. Okay. I was waiting for that. Because what I'm trying to do today is put a frame around the picture that we witness and, and see. I'm, I'm trying to create a lens through which we view Genesis 1 through 11. To do so, I want you to think of four words. Four words. These four words are style, source, structure, and so what. Can you just repeat after me? Repeat these words. Style. Source. Structure, and so what? All right, first, style. I want you to know above everything else when we enter into Genesis 1 through 11 that these 11 chapters, this is different kind of Bible. Genesis 1 through 11 is a different kind of Bible than the rest of the Bible. It has a style all its own, and that style has a purpose, an intent, a, a goal, in fact, it's what we refer to as the, the primeval history. The primeval history, in other words, is the prehistory. It's, it, it's filled with images and pictures and poetry and stories and people that are meant to describe time before time. And in these stories, there are, oh, there, there are so many images, but they, they're meant to do two things. Everything that you and I read, the, the, the music in it, the poetry in it, the, the narrative in it is meant to do two things. Everything in these 11 chapters, it's meant to stoke and provoke the imagination of faith. Will you sit with that for just a moment? It's meant to stoke and provoke the imagination of faith. Now, you and I both know that there are parallel stories uh, that we read in Genesis 1 through 11. There are stories that are parallels in other religions as well. In the ancient Near East, in literature that we have from the ancient Near East, there are other creation stories. There are other flood stories, a bunch of Noahs. 
and they all have their purposes. But there's something distinct about our version that comes through Genesis 1 through 11. In these chapters, in these stories that emerge, God is demonstrated as one who is not only sovereign and authoritative over everything that exists, but he is one who has a heart's desire to know his creatures. Not only that, this is a God who's demonstrated as one who creates out of love. And that love is an invitation for the creatures to participate in love and to co-create a world that is characterized by love. And all through the ancient Near East, there are many parallels, but nothing speaks of their gods the way these particular texts speak of the God that we worship. But here's where there's kind of a breakdown when it comes to the style. The style of 11, 1 through 11 is meant to present a kind of God and a kind of existence that God had in mind. But sometimes we break down right here. This is where we divide. Because when you approach the stories that are in here, because they're filled with some fantastic stories, and by fantastic, I mean fantastical stories that stretch the imagination. So most of the time, we have fallen into two camps, haven't we? In one camp are those who read the words and assume that the only way to read these stories with faith is to read them literally, that they are real people, that they are actual uh, times and dates and so forth. Read it like a, like a history book. And in so doing, the other camp, filled with people who, by the way, like your pastor, respect science, am amazed at what we're learning about the cosmos, at times, well, knowing what we know about the observable universe, we read some of these stories, and there are some in this camp who would say, well, how in the world could we possibly read this with faith because of what my intellectual integrity demands of me? And so we put ourselves in an unnecessary choice that has to be made. And we say to ourselves, well, if I'm going to read this by faith, I have to surrender my intellectual integrity or my scientific respect. Or we say, well, if I'm going to maintain my scientific respect and intellectual integrity, then I somehow, I guess, can't read these with faith. And I have to surrender my faith. Which is why a lot of our friends and neighbors and loved ones have abandoned the faith. Because they have assumed that there are only two ways to approach the scripture we call sacred. And I'm here to tell you that you neither must surrender your faith nor your intellectual integrity, which, by the way, God put in you. There is a way to approach this text because of its style. Somebody say style. Because of its style, Genesis 1 through 11 is not trying to pretend to be a history book. It's not trying to pretend to be a science book. It's better than that. It's a truth book. And it's attempting to speak into the mysteries of life and tell the truth about a God and God's creatures that God had in mind. So there is a different way to approach this, and that is to understand the text has a style, and the style is not simply to tell us information. I love what Phyllis Tickle says about it. Phyllis Tickle says, you know, there is a difference between factual truth 
being factually true and being actually true. That there are places in the Bible that are factually true. I mean, we know this. We've observed it. We've been there. We've seen it. Where they're factually true. But sometimes there are places in the Bible where we are so preoccupied with proving that they are factually true that we miss the whole big picture that they are actually true. And Genesis 1 through 11 is a place like that. There is something better than facts. And that is truth. Truth. And in Genesis 1 through 11, the goal, the style of Genesis 1 through 11 is not to simply inform us as if, you know, you know, Adam had like a Snapchat or was streaming live. Noah was streaming live from the flood. That was not the goal. The goal is not to simply inform us. The goal is to transform us. The goal of Genesis 1 through 11, if, if the next 13 weeks are going to mean anything, must mean this, the goal is not to inform, but to transform. To transform the mind and the heart. Why would we speak about transformation this way? Well, it leads us to the second word. Not only is there a style that we have to pay attention to, we have to respect the nature of the text that comes to us. But there is a source. Can somebody say source? Source. The source, oh, come on, you were kind of, that was like half-hearted. Come on, with me, source. source. There it is. The source, where did these passages of Scripture come from? Because contrary to popular belief, the Bible didn't fall out of heaven into the lap of King James, right? But the, these, these faith stories developed over millennia, over generations in which human beings encountering God talked about their encounters with God. And they wrote about their experiences with one another in community and with God. And, and over time, those experiences became reliable because they were consistent with your experiences and, and your experiences. And we begin to tell these stories in such a way around campfires and through the oral tradition and worship that eventually we write them down, right? Well, according to some of the best uh, biblical scholars of our day, this literature of Genesis 1 through 11 emerged in about the 6th century B.C. About the 6th century B.C. Now follow me on this. And that's pretty late. I mean, you know, the 6th century B.C. is when the people of Israel were in exile. Think about that for just a moment. This is after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is long after Joseph. And Joseph took his family down to Egypt and lived there long after that Pharaoh died and the new Pharaoh came up who didn't know Joseph and his family and turned all of the people into slaves. Long after all the people of Israel who were now slaves raised up one of their children, sent them in a, a little reed basket down the river named Moses, and he raised up and grew to deliver his people from bondage. Long after the Exodus where they went for 40 days or 40 uh, years through the wilderness journey. Long after they had entered into the promised land. Long after they had become a unified kingdom under King David. Long after the, the unified kingdom divided between north and south. In other words, they'd been around a while. And in their living and loving and just doing life, Israel had become a thing. And it was strong and good and beautiful and right. And then the Babylonians came. And the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem. And they crushed everything that, that meant anything about being alive. They 
They looted the, 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 the temple. They burned it to the ground, this which was the symbol of God's presence on the earth. And they took all the educated, all those who were uh, the workers of Jerusalem, and took them into exile. And now living in exile, away from anything that ever brought comfort or satisfaction or meaning, they are totally abandoned and, and alone. And in exile, songs emerge. In exile, poetry, letters, writings emerge. Like Psalm 137, which begins like this. There, by the rivers of Babylon, I hung up my harp. My harp, which is an instrument of praise, an instrument for celebration and worship. I hung it up on the willow tree, emblematic of human suffering and sorrow. I hung up the instrument of praise upon the sadness tree. For our tormentors asked us for mirth, saying, hey, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange and foreign land? And in this context of suffering, in this environment of, of despair and destruction where all of life had dismantled around them and they were experiencing nothing but chaos, their rabbis begin to tell stories. As Walter Brueggemann says, their theologians begin to do the work of theologians. The preachers begin to preach. The singers begin to sing. About what? Not just about the contemporary crisis in which they found themselves. Not just about how life has fallen apart. But rather, yes, life has fallen apart. But way in the beginning, there was a time when out of chaos, a good and loving sovereign God brought about order. And in the context of suffering and exile emerges the stories of 1 through 11, Genesis 1 through 11. And I love what, I love what um, Joseph Blinkenslop, Blinkensop says about uh, Genesis 1 through 11. Joseph Blinkensop says, if you pay attention, not just to what's being said, but how it's organized, you'll realize why people who were in exile came alive at the writing of these new writings that tell an old, old story. In fact, he says you can trace in the structure. Somebody say structure. In the structure of Genesis 1 through 11, you can trace a theme. It not only has a style, which is, hey, I'm not a science book. Hey, I'm not a history book. I'm a truth book. It not only has a source, which is suffering and pain and brokenness. It has a structure. Blinkensop says, you can trace this structure, creation, uncreation, recreation. And think about it for just a minute. What happens in Genesis 1 and 2 is the creation. God establishes this community of great beauty and love and, and solidarity and communion with the divine, right? This creation. But you know that in chapter 3, sin enters the story. In chapter 4, we have our first murder. In chapter 5 and 6, we have the spiraling decay of debauchery that brings God's original design into an embarrassing, embarrassing spiral downward. So that in chapter 6, we find God coming to the edge of all that God has made, and the text is provocative. It says God looks over all that God has made, which is provocatively a reminder of the way it was described in chapter 1 when he looked over all the chaos. 
and they looked over all that he had created and called it very good, right? In chapter 6, he looks over it once again after it spiraled and decayed and, and says, it's, it's, this is bad. This is a mistake. And he sends a flood to uncreate that which had been created. And in chapter 7, Noah continues to float. In chapter 8, still floating, God remembers him and then sends a wind across the surface of the deep to separate the waters from the dry ground again. Recreation emerges. So there is this creation, uncreation, and recreation in the very structure of that narrative arc 1 through 11. But can you imagine what the power of that message is when it's heard by the ears of those who are in exile? When they've lost everything and and it's been broken and everything that meant anything was no longer available to them. Their dream had been taken away. Everything they'd been working toward had fallen apart. I know that none of us would know what that looks like. It feels like, right? To have some part of life undo you. Imagine what it, what it does in the ears of the faithful in exile many, many years later to hear that there is a God who, yes, creates in great beauty. But when life breaks and you are uncreated, he doesn't give up. that he keeps on rebuilding and recreating. This is what we Christians refer to as the Paschal mystery because you and I both know that we are born and then if we live long enough, we break. We just do. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, we are reborn. We call it resurrection. We are created, we are uncreated, and we are recreated. And that brings us to the fourth word, which is, so what? Somebody say, so what? So what? So what is this? These 11 chapters, it's not like any Bible you have. It's unlike the rest of the entire scripture because of what it intends to do in you and in me. Yes, it has a style. It never pretends to be a history book uh, or a science book. It, it purports to be a truth book. And yes, it has a source. The source is broken people. It emerges out of brokenness. And yes, it has a structure. Creation, uncreation, recreation. But here's the so what. This isn't just a story about the ancients. This is your story. This is your Bible. And every one of us who are born into Eden fall down hard. But even we who have fallen down hard recognize through these stories that the God who watched us fall down picks us back up by God's good grace. And wherever you are on that spectrum, whether you're in a season of creation or uncreation or recreation, this is the good news. Genesis 1 through 11 invites us to go back to the old campus to look at where the old story started to see how it all fits together. And so we end with the same text that we began. Acts chapter 17. We read these words. 
from one ancestor. He made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope and find him. Though indeed, he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would prepare us for the sheer magnitude, the mystery, the power of what these pages of sacred text offer to provide us. We pray that you would help us not simply read them as ancient texts about some people somewhere long ago, but rather texts that are alive and teeming with invitation to see ourselves in the text. Show us these 13 weeks how to Become vulnerable before your spirit so that your spirit may do what only your spirit may do. Make us new. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, we pray. Amen.